Welcome to another episode of Catalyzing Radical Systemic Change, where it's all about mapping, discovering, and cross-pollinating what I think are the necessary building blocks towards a planetary civilization ahead. And as we know, money makes the world go round. So today's topic is integral investing. And I'm feeling very grateful to be in this joint virtual room together with Dr. Mariana Botsesan. She's a dear friend and deep into investing. And my first question today for you, Mariana, is when you look at your own biography, what were the defining turning points that made you who you are and ultimately commit your purpose to integral investing? Well, um, Alistair, it's a great pleasure to be on your program. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor and a privilege. And I have known you for, for such a long time. And it's been beautiful to work together and to see how, uh, how you so care, deeply care about uh, what's happening to us and uh, um, how you're contributing to making the world a better place. So thank you for having me. I, uh, I was born and raised in communist Romania, and uh, which, uh, of course, um, taught me the importance of equality, equality between men and women, uh, between, uh, in general, you know, humanity and diversity. Um, it was a society where uh, we had uh, free education, free healthcare, uh, free of everything, at least in, in theory, that the society, the form of uh, uh, government uh, was driven by people who were um, less, uh, more or less evolved, just as it is the case in, com in capitalism. Uh, they never really succeeded, um, just like we are not succeeding in capitalism either. So I learned very early on uh, that being a woman, is is normal uh it's a in terms of and i need to oppose that to um contrast that to what i was uh faced with in uh in germany when uh, at age 16 my parents and i immigrated where i was told that as a woman uh you can't do math uh you have to study languages or you know you're more stupid than others and um i was also surprised to see that um there was no support for working women. Uh, I'm talking here about Western Germany. That's no different in Eastern Germany. Thank God, those ideals of communism had influenced, have uh, had an influence on, on the society in general and uh, the positive sides. But anyway, so co uh, communism actually uh, was uh, laid the great foundation for my questioning things. For instance, religion. Um, I didn't grow up as a religious person. Still, am not religious. I'm a spiritual person, but not religious. And um, so later on, I learned capitalism. And of course, uh, no need to talk or go into the details of a much, much better form of government uh, than uh, communism. But um, I now have arrived at a point in my life where I am uh, questioning what is the better form of government and how can democracy evolve so that we can save ourselves and save the future of life on the planet. So these are the two important points in my life, uh, capitalism and communism as uh, governance forms. And um, of course, inequality is a result of capitalism. Um, not to say that communism works better, but this is not a conversation about capitalism or communism. I studied anyway, I studied uh, computer science. I uh, followed my dream of studying math and I ended up in studying artificial intelligence, which brought me to um, Stanford University. I graduated in building um, expert systems for artificial intelligence. So that was an important uh, um, contribution uh, in my life uh, to my, to what you call the defining uh, topic of our conversation, integral investing. Um, one other thing that I wanted to, um, <clears throat> to also emphasize is um, the religion aspect. I grew up as an atheist, of course, in communism and uh, didn't believe in church, still don't, uh, although I see the need for an organization uh, to be in place. But um, because I was so conflicted in, uh, and I didn't have any spiritual foundation due to my upbringing, I, I lacked one. And uh, just like Mother Teresa said, uh, I was spiritually deprived. Uh, you know, if you don't have a, a grounding, 
of uh, where we're coming from, where are we going after our death? And so I had to start uh, looking into that, uh, being forced by various challenges in life. And I began uh, meditating 42 years ago, and I was a closet mystic uh, for the first 20 years of my life, uh, because uh, I, although I saw the need uh, for a spiritual life, I didn't see how I could reconcile that in my head and in the society um, as a scientist, you know, who meditates. And until later, and uh, so that's the foundation of uh, integral investing. Uh, the grounding in uh, in a deep integral um, sustainable um, spirituality. So I think those are the three major defining points of my life. When I imagine you starting your career as an investor, and again looking on like the influences that you had in the various life's phases. Um, how did your own approach of investing, I reckon you started with like impact investing and how did your approach like develop over the years? Because um, I, I read the book, it came out a couple of years ago, but I reckon there was a lot of like wrestling with the market. How do you see it going and then finding your own answer and and your own approach so i'm curious in the different let's say evolutionary stages of your own approach within investing i didn't start as an investor <laughs> i i started as a computer scientist uh, working in artificial intelligence for a uh, silicon valley startup uh, so i uh I was a computer scientist, and later on, I uh, I, I had a, built a career in as a top executive at major corporations, uh, like the second largest uh, computer company that uh, was later acquired. It was called Digital Equipment. Was later acquired by Hewlett Packard, um, and so I uh, and then I also worked for Oracle Corporation in Redwood Shores in in Silicon Valley, and um, I didn't start as an as an investor. It was uh, in the mid 90s, 99, actually at the same time when Elon Musk was in Silicon Valley, that uh, mid 90s, when uh, 94, when we saw my husband and I, he's also a computer scientist, we saw Mosaic. That was the first internet um, um, browser. And we knew because we knew the internet um, as a computer scientist who had worked with the internet ever since uh, I uh, began studying. but. We knew that now a new era was starting uh, because now everyone was going to. So we saw that uh, happening, an exponential growth of uh, digitalization. And uh, so we started um, a company in Silicon Valley, wanted to uh, bring, uh, help people find houses in, in the Valley and that failed uh, due to the fact that the team it didn't work together in uh, properly. We didn't, for somehow we didn't, somehow didn't have the same, uh, you know, in understanding, knowing and so on. Didn't know how to succeed. And so uh, my husband and I then moved to Germany. I continued to work for Oracle Corporation uh, and, uh, and um, my husband uh, started a company which we co-started. He actually worked more intense on it to help uh, companies, major corporations like uh, Commerzbank and Shell and others, uh, uh, get an internet presence. On uh, and we're you know writing the year 1994, and um, only to find out that most people didn't have a clue. What is the internet? Well, you know, why do we need that? What is the goal of this? And and um, let alone they didn't have access to the internet. So we were way ahead of our time and. Um, and so then we decided that uh, I decided to invest. My husband decided to uh, start the company together with others to bring people onto the internet, to provide internet access. So that was the beginning of me being an investor. And, uh, and uh, that was uh, pre-bubble, pre the 2000 years. So 19, uh, the company was founded uh, in December 94 and it went, went public two years later on uh, actually it went public on uh, with the first internet stock uh, that uh, was available in Germany. 
uh, and uh, was a, an IPO. We had an exit. And of course, all of a sudden, if you grow up dirt poor, like I was in communist Romania, went to school often without food and um, my teeth are, you know, were damaged because I didn't have the proper nutrition and so on and so on. And all of a sudden we had an IPO that changed changed um, our entire life and uh, as always I had um, we I looked for coaches because uh, I, I looked for uh, support like how do you lead your life in the midst of all this um, you know AI and communism and capitalism and uh, how do you integrate them all and I uh, I came across Ken Wilber um, no I came across Tony Robbins at the end of the 1988 and uh, he through his coaching, through tapes and so on and books, um, it was brilliant, actually. He helped me achieve everything and anything I ever wanted. And it works. Uh, it worked. And uh, but uh, after two, 1997, everything changed um, because money was no or acquiring things was no longer an issue. And uh, and so it was actually uh, I went again to Tony Robbins and uh, we were traveling together around the world with amazing people and it was in the desert of uh, Morocco that he, um, it was late at night, that he mentioned the name Ken Wilbur. And uh, that was the time I came across uh, the best lens through which I could look at the world and that would help me make sense of what's actually going on. Uh, in the world, uh, holistically, not just, you know, making money, starting a company, investing and so on, but also uh, leading my life, my interior life and creating the relationships that I wanted and the marriage that I wanted and be fulfilled, you know, be happy. <laughs> and uh, because, you know, acquiring things, obviously, or studying and getting this diploma and getting up at Stanford, it was just very short lived. Uh, so how can you be happy within, you know, not through things, but just because you exist. And so that was the model. I came across it, uh, the uh, all uh, quadrants, all uh, levels, all lines of development. Um, the aqua, and this is what integral investing uh, then uh, became grounded on. And uh, because I saw that something was really, really wrong with our world. On one hand, you go and uh, during the day, Wall Street, make a lot of money. And then in the evening, you go and uh, donate uh, to set up what... Um, you know, the system did wrong, you know, uh, so and I've been brought up as a philanthropist by my beloved parents who were very simple people, but uh, they taught me what it means to be a philanthropist, na namely a lover of people. This is what the word means. So from the little that they had, they gave to others. But I saw the, the craziness between um, for profit uh, organizations only for profit only at the expense of people and the planet and then philanthropy trying to set it off a little bit um, but not really succeeding because if you look at uh, where the main capital stock of philanthropic organization goes uh, it goes back to wall street investing often against the mission of the philanthropic organization so um, ken wilbur's integral model helped me come up with a better way of um, exercising um, my uh, raison d'être on the planet. Like, how can I live and integrate, get rid of the schizophrenia and integrate in my own life and in my own activities? So as a, as a computer scientist, as an entrepreneur, serial entrepreneur, and as an investor, what is the best model that would help me integrate them all so that uh, we can ensure the future of life, that we can... Um, invest toward implementing the UN SDGs within planetary boundaries. Um, as a member of the International Club of Rome, and you know, I am a member thereof, we know and I do anything and everything I in my power to really contribute to going back to safe planetary boundaries. Uh, because we have left, the, uh, the planet tells us uh, what needs to happen in order to provide for us 
but uh, the operating system of the planet is no longer safe. And this is why we're experiencing as we speak, as we have this interview, uh, a terrible, terrible heat wave in, in Europe, which has a, a rather you know, wonderful climate. But that's the result of the planet responding uh, to the global economic activity that is not sustainable that we have created. And so integral investing is basically, you asked for the definition, is the providing the model, the means, the metrics, and from my own perspective, my contribution toward building, you know, implementing the UN SDGs within planetary boundaries by 2050, where we have to be carbon neutral through our activities. Um, and so capital is in extremely important contributors to uh, providing that. So, and I apply it, of course, with what I know uh, the best, namely in, you know, in early stage investing through building TEAL organizations, which is the modern name for organizations that uh, are sustainable, integrally sustainable. Um, I would like to open up um, a conversation because what we share in common, Mariana, as we both know, is we had like multiple epiphanies through meeting the model from Ken Wilbur and I'm curious from like the first encounters and the sparkles of you trying to apply that model within your life, but now with the focus on investing, what were the things that were like flowing easily? So kind of in your biography and you come up with a new model and what were the things you were wrestling with especially from an investing um, perspective and again i want to um, highlight my interest in like the model is one thing but then applying it you know it's always like testing iterating failing um and and, and reapplying. So I'm curious on, on, on your various learnings and the cycles with, within you trying to implement that within investing. Yeah, that sounds, it's a very simple question uh, with an extremely convoluted answer. So I think we need to go back to, there is no simple answer to what you just asked. And it all goes back to our individual understanding of who we are on this planet and why we are here. So Ken Wilber is a philosopher and everybody else who wants to turn him into something else <laughs> fails. So he is an extremely, he's one of the smartest people on this planet today and uh, is a philosopher. So it's very, very complex what so and I, the moment I discovered his uh, philosophy, I decided to go back and uh, really, really study it. Uh, so I got my PhD in, uh, in transpersonal psychology uh, at the Institute for Transpersonal Psychology in Palo Alto, which was founded by uh, Harvard, some Harvard uh, professors who were in the field of uh, Richard Alpert and uh, Ram Dass and so on. So they went west and started the Institute. And so I spent six years uh, really, really studying that in depth. Um, why? Because if we really want to use anything and everything, if we want to save ourselves, because humanity's future is at stake currently, it's just as simple as that. And if we want to really contribute with our little, whatever we have to offer to make the world a better place, we need to understand the bigger picture and then see how our little contribution can contribute to that. And if everyone and anyone does it, then we have hopes to really ensure the existence of consciousness on this planet because life was, uh, evolution created the universe in 13.8 billion years. Life came onto the planet like a billion years ago and we are about to created to make it extinct. So the question is us conscious beings, 
looking at what's actually happening. How can we really be informed and have the wisdom to come up with the right solutions? And that's a very, very, very complex topic. So to make it simple, and that's, there is no simple answer is, each and every one of us have to begin to realize that we are part of evolution. And, and when you look at yourself, you spend a third of your day sleeping, inner life, and two thirds of the day looking on the outside, what we call reality. And we, if we want to see, to come up with better solutions than the ones that we currently have that are not working, we need to begin to ask ourselves, what is that reality? And I am a scientist. I've studied physics and math. The reality that we see on the outside is not, is like playing a video game where you have those AR goggles and the moment you put it down and go to the bathroom, you're no longer in the game. But that's exactly how we perceive. We take this reality as the reality, but it's not. And we need to understand that the way we have used your mind in this world is not conducive to creating a better world because it's currently creating destruction. So what are better ways? What is an evolutionary, what is our consciousness evolution? Let me put it a different way. If we want to save ourselves, we need to come up from a different level of consciousness than the one that we currently have. And evolution, scientists tell us, Individual evolution occurs from egocentric to ethnocentric, like my tribe and my country, to world-centric and then universe spirit-centric. Now, what we're doing is currently acting from an egocentric, ethnocentric level of consciousness, which leads to the current destruction. So if you're asking me how we're using capital to make a better world, that cannot be issued from the same egocentric or ethnocentric, you would see Russia, for instance, that's ethnocentric level of consciousness because that creates more destruction. So when I invest, I invest in people who have this higher, later level of consciousness, at least world-centric level of consciousness, because I know it's not about them or their tribe, they really care. So the money is well invested. Into, um, into really saving the future of life and ensuring the future of life. So- Can I, can I tie into yeah, that? Yeah, please. Because, because I got really curious when you were mentioning, you were saying, when I'm investing in people, and this is like, um, I get really interested because obviously you're investing in companies that are led by people that have business models, that have like products and services. So, um, I wonder if it's a good time also in, in our encounter today to sketch a, a couple of examples um, where, and I don't mind like which, where ideally the business model from an integral lens makes a contribution in these, let's say, very indefinitely in, in dire times where we, where we need business models that create a segue towards us as a species um, living in harmony with the planet and regenerating the harm we inflicted on the mother organism. And I want you to especially, maybe it's good as a story because I know when you're searching and embedding and you're doing the due diligence process. So I'm curious how you tie the, the business model to, to, the, to the people. Um, and ideally, um, you, you could explain why you're doing this and also from, a, from an investment perspective, why this ultimately also pays off. Yeah, I understand. People want a quick solution. Um, and um, 
so let me go back. Uh, you mentioned I'm investing in companies. Of course, companies do not exist. A company is a construct. Yes, we do have legal structures and so on, but it's a construct. It's made by people. And uh, our company construct and our financial models today are not conducive to ensuring the future of life. Why? Because the only measurement criterion for success is one metric, and that metric is money. Money only at the expense of everything else. So if you then say, oh, I want to change that. Of course, integral investing needs to, wants to contribute so that we change the, a system that is no longer, uh, it doesn't, it, it helped us fly to the moon. It helped us create computers uh, and technology so that we could have this conversation remotely and see each other and hear each other, which is wonderful, but is not sustainable. So what is a better model? And of course, using, the aqua lens helped me see what, what could be the next step. And it's not a simple one. Why? Because we're working against existing structures and those structures, there are a lot of people who don't understand the bigger pictures and don't, you know, don't bother to understand, but it is important. That's why if we're talking and having a conversation about the future of life, and investing and how that can contribute, we need to really go top down and bottom up all the time at the same time. So today, entrepreneurs today, when they start a company, they have to make a decision because of the structures that we have. Do I start a not-for-profit, which is presumably good, right? They pretend to be better than others or a for-profit organization that is doomed for profit is bad because of what we've done with the money. And of course, that's a dilemma. <laughs> it's stupid. So the system in itself is stupid. So if I invest, I need to bypass these stupid structures by helping work around them because I still get measured by financial, you know, IRS and all these finansamt and all the others, they still want the bottom line, right? So how do I navigate that? Because I want, I need to change the system, you know, make a little contribution, create a better company until the bigger system changes, you know, because governments change, you know, legislate and come up with new, ideas, new, 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 better structures, which are being forced now by nature. So from an integral perspective, in order to bypass that, I say, well, a not-for-profit, so I, I need to look at the people. Do people understand the stupidity between for-profit, not-for-profit? Do they understand that they have to open up their minds to First of all, they need financial sustainability. Somebody is paying the bill for us. You know, we use electricity. We need to buy a computer in order to have this conversation. We need to buy a microphone. Uh, you know, we are having an internet. Da, da, da. Everyone has to, we have a home. We have to pay rent. So money is as good as what we do with it. So it's a priori is neutral, right? So they need to understand they need to be financially sustainable. In the beginning, they won't, of course, but having a not-for-profit thing is not better than having a for-profit organization, right? For, for many reasons that I already mentioned. So people, <laughs> the people that I'm investing into need to have this understanding, right? So the, the due diligence process goes through that. So they have to have a business plan, uh, have a plan to become, um, financially sustainable, to have a, you know, integrally sustainable, do good for the planet and do good for themselves and for the people. And of course, how do you do that? I mean, people before they, uh, you know, when they seek money, they would promise everything and the moon, you know, yeah, until they get it and then they do with it whatever they can. So by setting up at a later stage of consciousness, cognitively, they have to understand what's actually going on.
They have to have a business plan so that they can turn their idea into something that works. Let me give you an example. 30% of the CO2 emissions worldwide come from construction. Um, it's cement, it's steel, it's aluminum, all the construction materials that are being used, they of course produce CO2. So if we, and not if, we must become carbon neutral by 2050, if we want to survive. And this is just carbon neutral, the emanation of what we are emitting, um, but we still have a lot of CO2 that is already being emitted so that we need to sequester, right? So let's not talk about this. So as an investor and as a computer scientist, I am trying to see how can I contribute, right? With everything that I know and all the blessings that I've been given. So we looked at, um, and the digitalization is occurring. See, uh, COVID showed us how important it is uh, if we want to save ourselves, less trouble and so on. So digitalization. So data centers are needed in order to provide the, the, the computing power the needed to, to provide all this, to have all these services. So that means you're building buildings in which there are data centers, computers emitting warmth and, and so on. So if I can find a technology that helps me reduce the CO2 emissions, of data centers, that would be amazing. So I came, we came across um, a technology that cools with water instead of air. Most data centers are cooled with air, but you know that you know air has to flow a lot. And we see if we open the window, it's not as cool than if you have a, a wall where water flows. So we came across this technology and we thought, wow, this is a, an amazing contribution because you need, if you cool with uh, water, you need 50% less construction materials. You need, um, you know, entire across the board. You need uh, less energy. It's all the maintenance over the, uh, and you pr produce less CO2 emissions uh, for, uh, you know, you don't produce what is called in investing stranded assets. So a building that in 30 years from now or 20 years from now has to be torn down and, you know, and so on. I don't need to go into the details. So that, was a worthwhile investment for us. So we could combine technology with water cooling with you know, construction and in a way that has a huge impact. And we just exited that. It took us six years and um, we used this integral model um, in, uh, in how we chose the, invest the investees. We, uh, I was a co-founder myself. We were co-founders also, and we just exited that. And the financial return of this has been extraordinary, but across the board, we have uh, returns of multiples, of seven multiples of the initial investment. And the same is true for the uh, internal rate of return that in this case was 57%. So across the board, everything um, benefits if you come in with with uh, you know with a more integrated way of looking at things does this example it's, it's called ndc data centers that were just uh, exited a couple of weeks ago does yeah. this answer your question yeah um can i incentivize you to give one or two uh, examples from different sectors even if you have not exact uh, exited them um, but more examples, and I would like to know, because you're screening a lot of things, um, and then there's also, I mean, there's metrics, but there's also intuition, then there's the people, then there's the model. So I'm curious in, yeah, let's, let's uh, uh, cite at least one, better maybe two more examples, and find out uh, with you why you chose them, where are they standing, and why specifically from a lens of integral investing, they're so worthwhile? Because from the first example, I already get, even if people were to like copy and paste, you know, your success, that's actually very beautiful because it saves a lot of building materials and it saves a lot of energy and it basically reduces 
the overall not only carbon but material footprint or backpack of the energy we need and i think we all agree that like the internet is a little bit like i don't know like the blood vessels or the nervous system of us as humanity becoming uh, conscious uh, globally so i think from the from the first example i can already extrapolate a lot of learnings and yeah curious on maybe two more examples yeah well maybe it would make sense to uh, go into the details as to how is classical investing or venture capital working uh, and what is the difference between uh, integral investing applied in the same sense in the same uh, yeah. asset class yeah so uh, we have um, we have five steps um, in total. So the first is, um, and it, let me let me make it simple. So integral investing has a motto, and the motto is the parity equality between people, planet, profit or prosperity, financial sustainability with passion and purpose. What does that mean? And you know we go through all these. So this is this is what we are actually doing in a very simple way. The six Bs, and I like to say it's the six Bs. So sex is included in there. Women are in there. Uh, the joie de vivre is in there. The joy of life. So how do we implement that when it comes down to really doing the work? Number one, we look. Of course, you know we are investors. People submit a business plan or an executive summary. And we, if we are interested because of the topic and we, because we understand the technology, we understand we are experts. We don't invest in stuff that we don't know. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know how to make bread, unfortunately, or you know, start a, ba a bakery because I, I don't know. But I do know how to uh, identify technology for data centers. And um, so we look at the business plan and uh, evaluate them with the integral lens. Um, so, but in, in detail, it's the similar, the process to the traditional venture capital or investment due diligence is pretty much the same. So we look at the business plan, sales, blah, blah, blah. The whole thing is well-developed, well-available. But it doesn't stop there. So we don't make a decision based on that. And that's where my PhD comes in. I, the second step is we look at the you know, Club of Rome factors. What is the strategy is how can we implement the UN SDGs, which are 17, right? It's important that the entire planet benefits within planetary boundaries by 2050. What does that mean? We have 17 UN SDGs. We want to really help everyone, you know, live a good quality of life and thrive on this planet. That's in general. In the book, and I've written extensively on this, you know, it's all outlined in detail. Within planetary boundaries, we have nine planetary boundaries and we have already left five or six in this safe environment. So how, does the investor investment contribute to that? I cannot go into the details. That would be a different podcast. And also the carbon neutrality and how we can, you know, by 2050, set ourselves up to win. So that's the second. Does that contribute to that? So that's part of the sustainability strategy, if you so wish, although we talk about integral sustainability. Then number three is... People promise the moon until they get money and they get what they think they need. So from a due diligence perspective, how, what are the chances? How can we go into a process to make sure that what people say is what they will be able to deliver? That's a different thing. We all talk a great deal when the day is long enough, like in the summer. But what we can truly deliver is a different thing. And this is where my PhD helps me a great deal because I came across uh, extraordinary uh, tools and, and uh, tests from Stanford, Harvard, and MIT that help really help me personally see where I am at and where I need to grow and where other people are and where they need to grow. And not only individually, but also how we together in a team can grow together. 
And I want to emphasize that this is not something that we're doing in order to test them. No, <laughs> it's us together. How can we together build a team that together can implement something that helps all of us? So by doing these tests, we do them together and we do them with us and amongst ourselves, we see where we are at. What is the status walking into the deal? What is it that we can do best and what, where do we need support individually? And we are very complex individual. I mean, I, there are uh, Harvard uh, professor, Howard Gardner identified nine different intelligences. Uh, Ken Wilber speaks about 12. Uh, so we are extremely complex, but it's only when the, where we live, where, where is our center of gravity? Uh, that determines uh, across all intelligences, emotional, co cognitive, psycho, spiritual, and so on, the center of gravity has to be at a world-centric level in order for us to be able and in a position to really, really go beyond ourselves and not just take care of our egocentric needs and psychopathologies. So that's where such tests are important. And then, so that's step three. And then step four is now that we know the team, we are also looking at uh, individuals, we are looking at the team and how the team works together, can work together and what can be complemented in order to support the team evolve and really make their dream and our dream come true. And that's, uh, that's then, uh, there are several other tests, uh, five dysfunctions of the team is for instance, a wonderful, a uh, uh, wonderful uh, tool to apply in this text, in this context. And then of course, step number five is we put this all together and make a decision whether or not to invest. But it's about us together and we allocate uh, three extra percent to team development and uh, individual development. And when people open up, it's not about testing. It's not good or bad. It's not this for profit, not for profit, <laughs> good or bad. No, it's about us as complex human beings and how we can work together with each other to really make our dreams come true for the benefit of, of, of all. So this is the, the theta model. Uh, of the due diligence process. I hope this helped clarify. Um, and now I can give you an example of uh, a positive example and another uh, way. Yeah, be before, before yeah. I ask you for an example or two, I try just to, to apply like common sense because when I read your book, I mean, it's a little bit also when I personally met Ken Wilber, you know, just click the boxes and I had this like, why is actually not everybody applying this because this is like so commonsensical so what i when i summarize this in like alistair terminology is obviously you need to look at at the numbers okay check the box then when you want to support an endeavor a project which is a company i also like to you know being critical you know towards needs does it need to be for profit or non-profit but i want to leave that aside but again apply common sense that when you want to support something that makes a contribution towards a thriving humanity including other sentient beings within planetary boundaries and then obviously you need to look or try to look or apply you know methodology where are the people individually but also as a team standing. So anyhow, I feel just like summarizing this because for me, it feels so commonsensical. And I wanna highlight that from my side, it's not about you or me, what interests me most about this integral investing approach. And this is why I wanna support you in like kind of having more people know about it because I really think it's almost like injecting commonsensical DNA through a lens that can actually be applied in a pretty elegant, smart, and simple way. So I hope, and I know you get a lot of response, you know, all around the planet uh, from your book, that also, quote unquote, 
less integral people, people that are still stuck more in the old paradigm, get inspired and ultimately move what wherever their needle is within their investment decisions. So anyhow, this was a blurb from my side. And yeah, super curious to listen in uh, into an example where that happens. Well, thank you so much, um, Alistair. It's only through us working together uh, toward clarifying complex things and you know, inviting people toward uh, a better world and creating the vision that a better world is possible uh, that things change. Um, so, because that helps the acceleration of the consciousness development toward a stage where we all recognize that we're on the same boat. And, uh, and that's the kind of, so integral investing for me is just a, another application of this bigger, you know, evolution of, of consciousness. Um, and that applies for every, you know, human being and, and collectively. So an example where, um, where it, it um, the tools actually helped us not to invest was uh, there was a, a, a wonderful smart uh, person who uh, came to us at a conference and introduced us to uh, his AI tool, you know, and I'm not going to go into detail so that it doesn't become uh, uh, identified, but um, told us about an extraordinary product that he had developed uh, using artificial intelligence, uh, cognitively brilliant person. And then we invited them over to look at the team. And he came, uh, there were like six people and we spent about four hours in our office. And um, he had brilliant people working for him. Um, however, every time we asked the question, uh, you know, regarding sales, regarding accounting, regarding uh, human resources and so on, he was the one responding. He never, he, he was, not leading his people, he was uh, the leader. He told everyone else what to do. And um, that doesn't work. We, a good leader is empowering other people to do the work. And you know, if you don't see him or her, that's a good leader. It's the opposite of this narcissistic culture that we're currently cultivating. So yes, you know, when asked, you should respond, but you know, to take over from everybody else, uh, it's not proper uh, and it's not gonna work. Why? Because uh, as an investor, um, you are investing in a king and that doesn't work. So because this king is going to build, you know, a, a kingdom and you are a, a vassal to that, right? and everyone else reports to him. So that, that wouldn't work because he only cares about himself, not other people. Another um, wonderful example, um, so we didn't invest. Let me see another example where, well, we have, I mean, over 30 years, we had uh, extraordinary uh, investments. So what I would, um, yeah, I think that, that, let me leave it at that at this point. And um, as an example, where something didn't work. And uh... um, let's zoom out a little bit uh, from, and I want to invite you not to look into the crystal ball because we know, uh, we don't know what the future uh, will look like. Um, most likely we are all facing challenging times in the, in the decades ahead. But when you take an overall look at impact investing and maybe even broader ESG investing and you see your contribution and without being childish, we hope for us as humanity, you know, to make the shift towards a planetary civilization what do you think are the biggest levers that uh, will, will move the needle uh, in the overall investment, impact investing uh, space? Is it 
is it the big transition of the money? Is it more people applying the scrutiny of the model? Is it more the internal component of people needing to embrace that they do the inner work? Is it all of that? So I'm curious to listen in where, where do you see the ripple effects um, of your work? And yeah, maybe, uh, maybe you, we can both uh, take a positive outlook. I understand. So let me, um, I, in addition to studying computer science and psychology and, uh, and so on, I studied uh, history uh, because I'm extremely interested in history and I, I see how uh, uh, history, we can learn from history a lot. And uh, so there is um, a very famous anthropologist, his name is Joseph Tainter, and he wrote uh, The Collapse of Complex Societies. There are many, many uh, extraordinary research that's been done around uh, Ray Dalio just published a good book also from a financial perspective where he also analyzes history. But uh, in Collapse, uh, Collapse of Complex Societies by uh, Joseph uh, Dainter, he um, actually argued that evolved societies such the Mayan and the Roman societies or the Sumerian uh, societies, they collapsed because of um, the society no longer could sustain or finance uh, the complexity of the society. And we see that happening right now. You know, the old ways can no longer be financed. So for the longest time ever since the financial crisis, 2008, um, various governments around the world, they um, decided to print more money. Uh, it's called, uh, well, quantitative easing uh, and throw it into the market in order to finance actually a collapsing structure, uh, structures. And, uh, and we see how weak these structures are. Um, for instance, now that Putin has challenged all of us. So we have not looked at the most important um, sectors of the society, like transport, like energy, education, and others. Um, and we haven't taken care of, we're, they're not sustainable. COVID showed us uh, that digitalization could have been done. I mean, I, I, I brought, you know, the first ISP, Internet Service Provider in Germany went public in 1997, and it took us until 2019, 20, to see that, you know, oh my God, we need the internet in schools. Oh, duh. <laughs> so just to give you an example, how slow we're moving, but the planet doesn't wait for us. So the, we speak in e economics, um, of a law that is called the law of diminishing returns. So you spend more money and get less for the same amount of money. So, and this is the current society uh, in which we're uh, operating, right? So when we're looking at how can we shift, you know, what are the top-down sectors of the society that um, need to, uh, to be addressed? Um, and my personal hope, and actually it's not a hope, it's actually a conviction that we will succeed, comes from another law that um, uh, Ray Kurzweil actually uh, named the law of accelerated returns, where you have, you invest, um, and this is an example, you know, an iPhone, you invest in building an iPhone, it costs millions, you invest in, uh, and but then now everyone, you know, can get in Africa in the most remote areas, you know, that's actually a, a means to make a living and it costs literally nothing. So we have, because the, so the law of diminishing return, uh, accelerated return. So you get more with less, right? For the first time in human history, we have that. We have on one hand, the law of diminishing returns in the past, you know, more capital printed to sustain a, a falling society. But the law of accelerated return um, is, is doing exactly the opposite through uh, exponential tech. So what happens there? So you have the speed, the cost effectiveness, effectiveness and the power of evolutionary process increase exponentially over time and becomes deflationary. So inflation, law of diminishing returns, and now we have the law of accelerated returns. It is possible. So it is possible with this kind of technology 
um, that occurred through not only uh, through the individual genius of an Einstein or uh, you know people before Pasteur and all these individual genius, but now everyone through the internet and the technology, the the genius of the individual converge to the genius of the collective. And you see how this convergence of technology, you know, you see them in, in a smartphone where you have, you know, computing converging uh, uh, together with network capacity and batteries and sensors and GPS and digital imaging, and it's all into one device. And of course, now if we use that genius and that foundation to address the, you know, the UN SDGs within planetary boundaries, and that together paired with the mindset, with the consciousness mindset at world-centric, not egocentric, that's where my conviction comes from, that we will succeed. Yes, many, many millions and billions of people will probably die, me included, but that doesn't mean that um, consciousness doesn't survive. So that's where I got it. Does that answer your question? I'm trying to summarize what I get. So for me, it sounds like this is actually one of my biggest hopes is that through us, not only perceiving, but being able and given the agency to conspire globally with allies on a world-centric level and committing ourselves to building regenerative business models, making it different, taking action in politics and advocacy through like everything that is uh, possible in, in, in within our, let's say, given boundaries that we build almost like a hive mind uh, that uh, solves uh, the global challenges um, ahead. Um, what I find particularly interesting when I, and I want to hop on that, maybe, maybe that's, maybe that's a good last question into your direction is within the law of accelerated returns and us meditating since decades, you obviously a little bit, not, not a little bit like two decades longer, um, and technology being ubiquitous and also easy to use, I see, a, I see huge possibilities and ripple effects for people applying the methodology, the scrutiny, and with all of the world wisdom available to lift more people up to a world-centric stage. So I'm curious, maybe even you have an investment or a vetting process going on. Where do you see the link in between the law of accelerated returns and personal development, meditation, healing, well-being? Yeah, curious to listen into that. Well, I, I, that's, again, a simple question, um, but it's a very complex answer. So there are, <laughs> in order to ensure the future of life, life means food for people. So we need to make sure that the food that is, um, you know, that, that, that is generated on the planet uh, can, despite planetary boundaries being distorted, can sustain food, uh, you know, sustain the people, provide the food necessary. And uh, so I see the role of technology again and genius um, come in and, you know, through synthetic biology and precision protein and uh, fermentation, uh, protein fermentation, um, creating the protein, for instance, that people need instead of uh, raising cows and producing more CO2 um, and uh, the same, you know, local, um, local agriculture in the cities and so on. So um, artificial meat through synthetic biology is uh, one thing. And then also, um, and the price is going down too. So the law of diminishing returns applies there too. Just to give an example, um, one kilogram of um, 
of synthetic um, protein, artificial meat, you know, cost 10 years ago, um, you know, several hundred billion dollars, probably, I don't know, for, for a fact, uh, um, probably, I don't know, um, whatever. Well, the burger, I, I think but the burger was, it, was it, a couple it, of million, yeah. Oh, well, one kilogram costs a million and now you pay 20 euros for, um, you know, for, uh, you know, the same amount, a kilogram. So it's, it's, it's made progress. So we are, and this is, and we saw during COVID, you know, what humanity can do if they decide if there is the political will. And that's the same is for energy. You know, Putin did us a great service by providing us, you know, challenging us, and now we're coming together. Um, and uh, so that's, uh, you know, in all bad, there's a lot of good. So the energy, the technology for energy creation, you know, solar um, and wind are, uh, prices are, you know, slowing down and batteries are available and so on. So energy is also available. The same is in transportation. So people need to communicate with one another. So you have uh, the convergence of um, on-demand uh, autonomous driving, electric cars, batteries, and so on. So these are the, um, the most important sectors of a civilization because we want to save civilization. We don't want to go back to monkey living on the planet. Uh, that, that's where the, this come in, comes in. And, um, and of course, the, what is needed in order for us to move in this direction is what you mentioned in terms of mindset. So people have to have the conviction that this is the right thing to do and then go out and do it. Because it's not just uh, you know uh, snipping your fingers and then it's 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 happening. So uh, yeah, we have the technology and it uh, does converge, but um, uh, you know we have time and resource limitations, and we're running out of resources, as you all know. Uh, so we need to uh, harvest uh, you know uh, asteroids from uh, for various minerals and so on, and so we need political will and. Um, and, um, and the capitals. And that's where integral investing with this philosophy comes in. So it presupposes, of course, that uh, people have the proper mindset and that the capital that is limited, of course, goes in that direction, you know, by uh, empowering people who got it and are mean it. So mindset is actually um, uh, key and we, get, we need to get rid of the pollution in, in our mindset first before we get rid of the pollution in on the outside world so that's my conviction because we know what we do to do but we don't do what we know so people who come and tell me oh uh, and you have mentioned the word impact investing a couple of times impact investing has not managed to take off the ground you know to take off uh, so that's why we talk about integral investing because uh, impact investing has been hijacked by social investing. No, it's environmental investing. No, no, it's all together. That's why the parity of people, planet, profit. So people need to get that in their head first because you cannot cut off your left arm just because you mostly use your right arm. <laughs> but we do that in investing and in building companies and so on. So um, does that answer your question? Yeah, so... To end today's conversation, since you also have it in the title, Integral Investing, my question goes somewhat in that direction. There's a, there's a lot of people um, putting Ken Wilber, like the philosopher, on a pedestal, almost making him a guru. So I think that's one misconception. And I think the other one is people are ditching the integral framework and they're pouring out the baby with the bathwater. So maybe as your final words for this dialogue today, why do you think that embracing integral, the integral framework, and also like obviously modifying, customizing it, you know, it's also an evolutionary framework, and I know Ken would be in total support of that, is why do you think embracing integral as a framework is important and conducive, not only for the 
let's say, investment or investing community, but overall, just generally uh, as a human being? Well, as you know, Ken Wilber wrote the foreword to the book. So he has been supporting my work ever since I, I dare meet him for the first time because I, I got my PhD so I could um, feel comfortable meeting with this extraordinary man. And he's been a friend ever since then. So uh, yeah, so Ken is uh, extraordinary. So and, and there are very few people who, uh, who have taken the time to really read and understand him. Uh, but, you know, they can still do that. So it's uh, all available. So in, in order for um, us to um, to empower ourselves is to, and that's my last recommendation, is um, to ask ourselves, how do we use our free will? Uh, because right now we use our free will as a generalization. Most people use their free will to um, not use the mind to, to actually waste their brilliant, brilliant mind, what they have between their, you know, the mind. It's not us, it's not the soul, it's the mind. We have this extraordinary creation that we throw away because we're using our free will to go online, to bitch about other people um, instead of using it to create something similar like Einstein, E equals MC squared. And we can all do that. But in order for us to be able to do that, we need to train the mind, to use the mind in a positive way, to use the mind in creating positive thoughts, not negative thoughts that create bad emotions and make us feel miserable and, and which then makes us go after other people and criticize them and bitch and, you know. So free will is the key actually to using the resources that existence has put into our lap to save ourselves, to work together, to create a better world, to help our own consciousness move to the next level. Because this is what we're called for. Uh, going back to, um, to what I said during the call, what we see on the outside, what we perceive as reality is not reality at all. Physicists will tell us that space-time is doomed. All these theories, uh, you know, that uh, we have, you know, physical and physics, space-time, for instance, is one of the key theories, um, is doomed. Consciousness is not being created in the brain. The brain is just a tool that we're using, that we can use, just like emotions, right? But we are not our emotions we're not our thoughts we are not our mind we are that that it looks observes it all and once we understand that and connect all the time and be in this higher self with capital s then we will be able to come up with the proper solutions and um, you know to save consciousness on this planet life will continue with or without us and we have the choice, you know, to use free will to create what we have created right now, good and bad, or move to the next level of consciousness because we are pure consciousness. I don't have anything to add for that. I totally agree, Mariana. Thanks so much for the precious time we spent today. Thanks. Thank you. It's been an honor and a privilege and uh, good luck to you. We need more people like you, Alistair. You're a godsend. Thank you. Thanks, Mariana.